This week, we tackle some of the most talked about and difficult topics in pop culture right now. Melissa Silverstein on the way-too-slow progress for women in Hollywood and the Ghostbusters reboot, Why All the Hate? And critic Matt Zoller cites on how he approaches reviewing Woody Allen post-allegations. Stay tuned. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Thanks for listening. There are some complicated and important conversations in the pop culture community as of late. It may be difficult as an audience member, as a fan, to come to terms with a filmmaker, an artist, or public figure accused of a horrific act. Can you separate the artist from the art? Do we, can we see their movies in the same way? Like Johnny Depp, accused of domestic abuse, or Bill Cosby, who will stand trial faced with three counts of felony aggravated indecent assault and with more than 50 women who have accused him of sexual misconduct. And what about for the professional critic? Last month, one of my favorite critics and writers, Matt zoller Seitz of New York Magazine, wrote a very personal reflection on how he will review and approach Woody Allen's canon and films going forward. I wanted to talk to him more about this. But first... It may be 2016, and despite the successes of female-driven blockbusters such as Twilight and The Hunger Games, women-busting ghosts seems to have brought on more hatred than anyone thought possible. The misogyny on social media, the abuse and vitriol surrounding the largely female cast of the Ghostbusters reboot even took director Paul Feig by surprise. In 2007, Melissa Silverstein founded Women and Hollywood, one of the most comprehensive sites and organizations for issues related to women, film, and popular culture. An in-depth look and continuous updates, both uplifting and maddening, about the state of the entertainment industry for women today. Ms. Silverstein is also the artistic director and co-founder of the Athena Film Festival, a festival honoring women and strong advocates for women on screen and behind the scenes. She was recently in Cannes and reported extensively from the festival. I started by asking Melissa about the new Wonder Woman movie coming next year. It's directed by a woman, Patty Jenkins, and what Melissa thinks about the importance of this female-driven superhero blockbuster. Well, I think what why everybody's so excited about Wonder Woman is, A, women don't get their own superhero movies we don't get to save people we are the ones that are saved and so i think this is a moment where we're all looking forward to kind of being the hero of the story i think a significant moment in a couple of different ways firstly that a woman can you know come in and helm a movie that's got significant effects that's got a lot of things going on that is one of, um, you know, the summer's biggest and most anticipated movies, and everybody will be like, oh, okay, you know, it's no problem. How are the numbers doing today? I was looking at some of the numbers from when you started the site. In 2007, women were only 15% of all directors, exec producers, writers, and such, working on the 250 grossing top-grossing films then in 2007. How are things now? I think they're in the 20%. Oh, so not much. no. So not that much better. Um, so women directors in the top 250 grossing movies last year directed 9% of those movies. And um, I don't think maybe one year in the study that has been done, they've cracked 10%, but it's gone down. 
the year before it was about 5%. Women don't have access to the capital. They don't have access to the money that makes these big movies. And that is one of the biggest problems. It's about trusting women to be able to make these movies and to trust the vision of women. Right. Is it better in television? Television is not based on opening weekend box office. Television is still based on a model of advertising. And what the television people know and the advertisers know because they sell things is that women buy everything and women make all the consumer decisions. They still buy half the movie tickets and we don't know all the decisions that they make in making those, um, you know, 50% of the ticket purchasers and 50% of the moviegoers are women. So the, um, the issue is that on television, the people really understand that women are generating a lot of their consumerism. So they're going to target women. So what happens is you have shows that need to target women. And so television is a bit better. It's not great, but we see really substantive female characters on television. We don't see enough female creators and showrunners, but uh, the television audience is, you know, over half women. Why is the process so slow? Because it's institutionalized, the, the institutionalized sexism and the, the problem is the system. So if women can't break into the system and the system is, is basically created that shoots women out, you know, women can't move up, up the ladder um, for so many different reasons, then, you know, how do you get to the top if you are falling out on every level of the pipeline? How are some of the ways do you think the industry should go about changing this? One piece of this is for people to understand their own biases, unconscious and conscious. So what happens is we are institutionalized in our own brains to want to be with people who look like us and to want to hire people who are like us. This is just how brain you know, the brains work. Um, and so there's this thing called unconscious bias, which is people are talking about a lot, which is, you know, we just, we just gravitate to what we know. So basically, there are a lot of people working in the industry. Sundance and Women in Film did a two-day summit with lots of folks in power to understand, you know, how you interrupt your your institutional kind of sexism in your head and how you uh, interrupt this unconscious bias and make people understand that by hiring the guy that you know, you're perpetuating the same problems. Um, it's it takes work. And what's so strange is that the 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 movies, the past movies with real with female leads, so you know, like Hunger Games and things like that, are just making a tremendous amount of money. And and when I look at at the articles about this, it seems to be making more money than a lot of the male driven movies. Well, I mean, Hunger Games wouldn't exist had Twilight not existed. And Twilight wouldn't have existed without Catherine Hardwick. So it's like all these things, uh, you know, they have a or point of origin. But Twilight, they were so nervous about, I mean, the budget was like, I think, if I'm not wrong, about $38 million. So they gave it no money. It had a huge following. So this is, again, this about the trusting, A, that women and girls are going to come out to the movies on opening weekend, where I just want to um, remind people, the statistics from the Motion Picture Association of America over 
the last decade have not indicated that young men go to the movies any more than young women. Mm-hmm. There could be a, be a blip, you know, one, you know, once or twice, but there's no significant data that says, you know, boys are going to the movies more than girls. Um, yet there is a mentality in Hollywood that boys go to the movies more than girls. So there, the data doesn't back up the narrative that exists. Your past Athena Festival in February, director, producer, and screenwriter Paul Feig, who made um, Bridesmaids and The Coming Ghostbuster, he received your first Athena Leading Man Award, celebrating his incredible body of work and, and what he's um, outspoken stands for women in, in, in his career. And one interesting example is this Ghostbuster trailer that has been and correct me if I'm wrong, the most hated trailer in like YouTube history or something like that. Um, incredible vitriol towards um, the fact that the Ghostbusters in this reboot are women. Is is there any way to explain this? Well, firstly, I think it's a campaign and I think m- individuals went on multiple times to hate it. Who Who's campaigning, you mean? Just, just people who have a lot of time and who are just angry. I mean, there's a lot of anger in this country about lots of different things, and clearly the Ghostbusters are making people angry. (laughs) I mean, Donald Trump has, you know, made a comment about, you know, female Ghostbusters. We live in 2016. Why the hell not female Ghostbusters? And Paul Feig, I love him. Um, And I think he does amazing work. And he's experiencing the toxic the toxic uh, sexism of the internet where there are women who write about women and women's issues who get death threats, who are trolled on a constant basis. This is about a movie. This is about a funny movie starring four very funny women. This is not, you know, I mean, you know, it was like right, cancer right. research, you know right. what I mean? It's just like, you know, we have to have some perspective on it. Having women Ghostbusters doesn't mean it it makes the initial movie any less important in the canon. And so what I want to say and, for uh, people... And, to- and, and to that movie, I'm pretty sure that both boys and girls and women are, will go see it. I mean, that's not going to be a problem. Absolutely. And, you know, Bill Murray, I think, is in it. And he said good things about it. Really, what is happening is small groups of trolls really are very vocal and they try to um, build their own narrative. So what they've done is they've hijacked the conversation about Ghostbusters. All these years that you've been um, dedicated, you've been working on all kinds of projects and, and, and regarding women, And have you come to sort of any fundamental understanding of where this anger comes from? It's not fundamental anger at women in movies. It's fundamental anger at women in our culture. Right. This is, you know, uh, we have a woman running for president here in the United States. There's fundamental anger at her for daring to want to be a president. One of the biggest yearly events in the film calendar is Cannes, and you were just there as part of and hosting many panels and part of panels and writing and watching. Um, Do you have sort of overall thoughts of what you saw from Cannes this year regarding women in film? Well, I think that, you know, over the last couple of years, um, the festival has been reacting to the fact that um, my my initiative is in, in tandem with other people and organizations have been really um, calling them out on the lack of women in the competition areas. 
And so they are trying to respond to it and, you know, have created programs. And I think women are responding to it. Like, for example, last year there was a whole thing on, you know, one woman got, women got kicked off the red carpet or called out on the red carpet for not wearing high heels. This year I saw women with flats everywhere and then women took off their shoes. So that's, you know, done. I mean, women, what women are doing is, you know, just breaking through all these things and they're saying, I'm done. No way. And I think, you know, there was a lot of visible uh, events focused on women. There are some at the celebrity level carrying women in motion and variety do these, uh, you know, high profile talks with women in the business and they get covered everywhere. And they gave an award to Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. And they really, uh, you know, push the gender issue. Um, I think, you know, can didn't do itself a favor by opening the festival with Woody Allen. So that gave a person like me a lot of opportunities to talk about, you know, this guy is not a role model. He should not be opening a festival of this caliber. And in terms of these um, stories, I mean, Woody Allen or Polanski or, and, and should, should we be seeing that they should not be coming to a place like Cannes is what you're saying? Well, I think, you know, it's up to the festival, but I'm, as a person, have the also the ability to, the right to speak out. But there's several of these cases. There's Bill Cosby is going on at the moment also, who has, I think, 60 or so women yeah. accused him. And he's even, there's even police files where he's admitted and so on. It's taking ages to even get it to grow. Should we not be seeing their prior work? Well, Bill Cosby, I mean, the whole thing about Bill Cosby is they shut up the women and they bought them off. And they tried to, uh, you know, make this go away for decades. This man who I watched with my family every week has been a serial rapist. And it's disgusting. And you can't watch that show in the same way anymore. I don't even know if I would watch that show. I don't even know if people, if they're putting it on the air anymore because of all this stuff that's going on. Um, his whole legacy is gone. It's gone. It's over. It's tarnished. Um, finished. Um, and now he has to stand on trial. Going forward, do you see things with more optimism or, or, or are you worried about where we're going? No, I'm always optimistic. That's, that's the way that you have to be. Um, you have to think that things can change because you want them to change and you're working to make them change. Um, and, you know, we see every, if more people are talking about it, more people are thinking about it, more people are writing about it. That means that uh, it's getting into people's heads and they're going to hopefully, you know, come up with solutions to this. It's not easy. It's, you know, it's not going to happen overnight just because we're talking about it. We, we are not seeing the, you know, the numbers tick up. It's going to take some time, but we just have to keep pushing on it. Melissa, thank you so much for your dedication to this and, and for all your work and for taking your time to talking to me as well. Thanks. My pleasure. Thank you so much to Melissa Silverstein of Women and Hollywood. Matt Zoller Seitz is a highly acclaimed critic and author. He's a TV critic at New York Magazine and editor-in-chief of RogerEbert.com. Also the author of many great books on film, for example on Mad Men and the Wes Anderson Collection. He has a new book with fellow critic Alan Sepinwall called TV The Book, Two Experts Pick the Greatest American Shows of All Time. That's coming later this year. Last month, Zoller Seitz wrote a very personal article entitled I Believe Dylan Farrow, 
about his own personal reflections on Woody Allen and how he, as a professional critic, will approach Allen's films going forward. Of course, the response to the article was huge. Woody Allen is accused by his ex, Mia Farrow, of molesting their daughter Dylan at age seven. Allen was not charged for the allegations. Allen's marriage to Farrow's daughter, Soon Yi, came as a shock. Just this spring, Woody Allen's new movie was the opening film at the Cannes Film Festival, which angered many. Woody Allen's son, Ronan Farrow, wrote a very personal article in The Hollywood Reporter criticizing the festival for inviting Allen. Allen himself had given an interview ahead of the festival where his comments on his wife Soon Yi left a great many feeling very uncomfortable. Is it possible to see Allen's incredible film canon in the same way, post-allegations? I asked Matt Zoller-Seitz why he had written the piece. I wrote the piece just because I've been a Woody Allen fan since I was really uh, a kid. And um, it's become increasingly difficult to watch his films and rewatch his films without thinking about these allegations. And I know that's true for almost everybody who enjoys his work. As a professional critic, how did you see that you would approach and review Woody Allen going forward? There's an absolutist attitude among a lot of uh, moviegoers, some of whom I kind of question whether or not they ever really would have watched Woody Allen anyway, but let's set that aside for a moment. Mm -hmm. That um, if you pay money to see a Woody Allen film, if you buy a Woody Allen DVD or anything, you are basically supporting a child molester, and that's all you're doing. There's a couple of problems with this. One is the allegations are unproved, uh, legally unproved. And the other is you're not just giving your money to Woody Allen, you're giving your money to the studio that releases really mostly really smaller independent films. And um, also you're basically voting for this kind of movie to exist also. And uh, there's another issue, which is you don't know, like we know that Woody Allen has an allegation against a molestation, but there's a million other people out there who have pretty bad stuff in their past. And in some cases we know about it. Yeah, you mention uh, Norman Mailer in your book, who, who, or in your in your piece that stabbed his wife, and Mike Tyson, and 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 just now there's you know Bill Cosby, who I think has actually been charged, and just and now Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, and then there's um, Terrence Howard, who has uh, domestic violence allegations against him. He's the star of a major television show, uh, uh, um, Empire, right. and uh, you know. You can qualify this stuff all you want to. You can say, well, Norman Mailer's dead, so it doesn't matter. Or you can say, uh, you know, whatever you want. I mean, what fascinates me about this is everybody's got their own system for deciding which artists to punish on the basis of their personal life and which ones to rationalize away. And and I know people who who claim to be sickened by the allegations against Woody Allen who uh, loved Mike Tyson's performance uh, in The Hangover. Right. And, and, and you know, they think he's a, a fascinating, complicated pop cultural figure. And this is a guy who is legally convicted of rape. Rape. Legally convicted of rape. Right. And the culture is a lar- at large treats him as like this kind of quasi-adorable 
person. Um, so I, I don't really understand it. But that said, everybody is a hypocrite, including me. Everybody is a hypocrite when it comes to this business of judging the artist's morality and punishing them or rewarding them as artists. Um, but we all have to make up our own minds about what is important for us. And I, you know, I don't begrudge anybody who decides I don't want to see Woody Allen's films because I think the allegations are true. Uh, I'm not going to give another dime of my money to anything that involves Johnny Depp, whatever, do whatever you got to do. But it becomes complicated when you are a critic and you have to keep track of these major artists. And I don't believe that you can just make up your mind as a critic to not see films by people that you, that make you feel gross, that make you feel icky. Um, because that's unprofessional. Because you do say in your piece that you do actually, you have come to believe, um, Dylan Farrow and, and that, it's it's sort of it's still even though you will um, review Woody Allen, of course, it colors how you see uh, many of his past movies, to say the least. Yeah, I guess I guess what I wanted to say was I can't pretend that this stuff isn't in my mind as I watch his movies. Right. You know, I wanted to get it in print and say, look, uh, you know, I'm not pretending that that I don't know these allegations exist. I'm not pretending that they don't affect the way I see his films. They do. And in fact, I can't really, I can't really watch his older films anymore. It's not an enjoyable experience for me, uh, particularly the ones where um, there's an element in the plot that reminds me of it, like in um, Husbands and Wives. Husbands and Wives, there's, there's a whole subplot, and that movie came out right around the same time that his marriage to me and Pharaoh broke up, and the allegations were emerging Juliet Lewis plays a student of a creative writing professor played by Woody Allen, who's uh, trying to seduce him. Right. And in the movie, Woody Allen's character uh, refuses like he's tempted, but he refuses. He decides not to, which is of course not what happened with Sun Yi in Woody Allen's actual life. And like Woody Allen makes it difficult for the audience. He makes it really difficult because I think you could separate the art from the artist a little more easily if Woody Allen weren't, drawings so blatantly on either what we know about him or what we think we know about him. And he's been doing it since the beginning of his career. He's been doing it before he was even a filmmaker. Right. He was doing it in his stand-up comedy in the 1960s. He was doing it in his, his short fiction in The New Yorker. Like he's essentially Philip Roth, uh, but with with slapstick added into the mix. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and in... Um, in his movie uh, Deconstructing Harry, he even has uh, he even casts himself as a Philip Roth-like novelist, and in the sequences of the movie that dramatize his fiction, this character's fiction, he casts Richard Benjamin, who is the star of the movie Portnoy's Complaint, which is an adaptation of a Philip Roth novel. So it's like on one hand, he's he's sort of saying. Uh, he, he, he's actually said in interviews things to the effect of these, this guy on screen is not me. These movies are not autobiographical. Um, and yet the evidence is so overwhelming that you just can't even 
take him at face value when he says that. It just seems absurd on its face. I was talking to Melissa Silverstein, who has the women in film, and she was very clear that, that it was the wrong decision on part of the Cannes Film Festival to open with Mr. Allen this year, um, and also in the light of the interview he gave to The Hollywood Reporter. Do you have any thoughts on the responsibility of, of a festival like that? Oh, God, it's really complicated. I mean, I think that a festival should make the decision that it wants to make, and uh, the Cannes Film Festival has had um, a lot of problematic people uh, in their festival because they are a film festival, and artists tend to be complicated and often extremely unsavory people. So, so I don't know if the the Cannes Film Festival uh, should never invite Woody Allen again. Um, I think they certainly made a PR mistake. And the fact that, that his publicist barred journalists from press junkets, The Hollywood Reporter, I personally find that quite hard to not be able to ask the questions you need to ask as a journalist. Well, at a certain point, if, if, if an artist has this persistent allegation of child molestation, following them around everywhere they go for, for, for really... 20 over 25 years now they should probably just stop doing interviews if they don't want it to come up i i i it's just it's just a part of it but but woody allen of course says he's innocent so he if he would stop giving interviews then maybe he would feel that he's perceived as not i mean i'm not sure but maybe i don't know i don't know I, i don't know what i would do if i were woody allen and i and i believe and you know if i were woody allen and i was innocent and this stuff was following me around. I don't know. I mean, now we're getting into this, like it's like fantasy football. What would I do if I were a a celebrity wrongly accused of a crime? I don't know. I mean, I guess I would uh, uh, sue whoever was making these allegations on libel or slander and make them prove it. But he can't really do that because he would seem like even more of a villain. Of course. You know, like like if somebody who's accused of rape or molestation is suing the person who's accusing them, you basically can't win. And there is a possibility. We have to be open to the possibility that Woody Allen is innocent of these charges and he's in this Kafka-esque kind of situation where everything he does, everything he says makes it seem like he's guilty. That may also be a possibility. But I believe Dylan. I right. believe Dylan because, you know, I... I, I witnessed domestic violence as a child mm-hmm. and was uh, uh, taught by society that this is a shameful thing and we don't discuss it. And I saw how my, you know, my mother was treated uh, by uh, when she tried to talk about it. And I see how women are treated when they, when they say I was beaten, I was raped, I was molested and men too. You know, men, I know uh, men who are uh, who have been molested. I know men who were beaten as kids. And there are all kinds of people who, like, want to talk about their experience, and they're told, shut up, I don't believe you. Or are you sure it really happened? And that's why I say I believe Dylan. I'm not saying I've got legal proof no. of anything. Like, I'm not playing a detective and trying to prove anything legally. That would be ridiculous. I'm just saying... Because of my own experience, I cannot come out here publicly and and be say, and be nitpicking every little thing that Dylan Farrow says, because that would I feel like that would be an attack on myself. That's what I'm saying. And 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 you know, the, once you've made that decision, 
really the only thing that's left is to be honest as a critic about how this affects your perception of Woody Allen's work. And Woody Allen's a person who, it's not like he's been sitting here making movies about subjects that seem entirely unrelated to his own life. And, uh, you know, he, he has said, he has made this kind of weird autobiographical seeming hall of mirrors out of every single movie he's ever made. And, and, you know, a lot of artists, a lot of artists, do that and it's fine it's great but you know Woody Allen cannot expect us to not think about these allegations when he's got a history of telling stories about older men with much 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 younger women I mean and as he's gotten older it's gotten even more extreme the difference in ages between his leading men and his leading ladies and there's a whole bunch of child molestation jokes all through his films like like it's not it's not like he did it once and he never did it again. There's like a lot. Right, right. There's a lot. And like, I can't like, you know, uh, Hannah and her sisters, there's, you know, he, he works at this Saturday night live type show. And there's uh, the first time we see him, he's complaining, uh, that the network has cut a sketch where he's joked that the Pope is a child molester. Right. There's like, there's like, you know, I can think of like six or seven of those jokes offhand and, Wow. You know, right. I, I don't know. I don't know how you can, I don't know how I'm supposed to factor that stuff out. So I'm just not going to, and I'm not, it's not like every time I write a review of a Woody Allen film, I'm going to say such and such a film, the, the 31st movie by accused child molester, Woody Allen opened yesterday. I'm not going to say that, no. you know, I'm not going to say that, but on the other hand, if he, t- if he yet again tells a story where um, some older man is tempted by some, teenage uh, girl or there or worse if he throws another uh, joke about child molestation into the script i'm gonna call him out on it like i i feel like it's it's fair game you know right do you see as a critic the past 20 years or so since the allegations first served that that his movies per se have changed in any way yes and no i think they, they they've changed um in tone they've changed in certainly in setting because he left the United States, he became a world traveler and, and he, he is very rarely returned to the United States. And I, I don't believe he's returned to New York. I may be forgetting a movie, but I don't think he's returned to New York in quite a long time. And yet his movies don't usually seem to be addressing these allegations against him. And yet there are times when they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are times where I was shocked by match point. Oh yeah. Shocked, completely shocked by match point because I think match point is one of his best films. Uh, and it, it's a film that makes you feel sick inside because the hero of that movie is somebody who has committed horrible crime and is fine with it. He's completely fine with it at the end of the movie. He's fine with it because he's, he's sort of, liberated himself from the burden of having a conscience and for Woody Allen to make a film like that after, after, you know, the, the scandal over, uh, over Soon Yi were, which people thought was inappropriate to begin with. That was bad enough, but also the child molestation allegations. Right. Like if I were an artist and somebody accused me of the things Woody Allen has been accused of, I don't think I would be brazen enough to make a film like match point. Right. I don't think I, I don't think I would do that. And he's made some other movies that are kind of along those lines for me where I'm watching him and going, wow, he really is not backing down. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if anything, he's Match Point is a movie where if people think poorly of the director, it's a movie that's saying, oh, yeah, you think poorly of me? Well, like, here, why don't you think even more poorly of me? Look at this guy. Right. Yeah, like that's, that's his hero. That is, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Bravery is definitely the wrong word here, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's it's no. incredible. Yeah, it's I incredible. mean, you know, and 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 uh, we have, uh, and and I want to back up a second and just say, I know people who say I I don't approve of Woody Allen. I'm never giving Woody Allen another an, another uh, dime of my money. I'm not going to pay to see his movies. But they love Michael Jackson. They love Michael Jackson, who was a, an accused multiple child molester. Multiple. And yeah, he's dead now. And that's kind of the magic get-out-of-jail-free card for people mm-hmm. uh, when you call them on inconsistencies and in their moral code when it comes to this kind of thing. It's like, well, he's dead now. Yeah, but you're talking about somebody who is accused not just of one incident, but multiple incidents. Multiple. Like, he was a classic, possibly the classic rich child molesting predator and people are able to compartmentalize the allegations against Michael Jackson in a way that they can't compartmentalize Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. And I have to assume that it's because the public persona of Michael Jackson is sweet and kind. And the public persona of Woody Allen is abrasive, slightly abrasive and kind of like not giving a damn. Right. That's the only explanation I can come up with for why people who are morally sickened by Woody Allen can listen to a Michael Jackson song and not think of him as a molester. Um, You know, and I'm not saying, like, I don't like those people. I'm just saying I find it strange. Yeah. (laughs) I find it strange. I find it very strange. Just like I find it strange when they they can look at a picture of Mike Tyson and not want to punch him in the face. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's a rapist. Then, but why do they sort of get, they, they, they still get second chances and second chances and second chances, even the ones, if we're talking about ones that are actually are convicted, as in the case of Mike Tyson. I don't know. Every t- but every time we give our money, every time we pay to see the movies, we are probably paying to support some child molester, some rapist, some, some domestic violence, uh, you know, committer of domestic violence. I mean, you have no idea what people are like in their personal lives. And and some of them are, there's probably much bigger scumbags that you're quote unquote paying to support when you go to see like uh, Transformers or Pirates of the Caribbean or Captain America Civil War. You think there's no child molesters associated with any of these blockbuster films that have like 2,000 people working on them? So the issue is not a boycott. It, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think if that's what floats your boat, then absolutely you should do that. But I'm saying, like, let's live in reality here while we do it. I also think there's no, I just think there's no answer to this. I think everybody's got to do what they feel is appropriate. I've sort of turned around and gone from thinking I can compartmentalize this it doesn't affect me. Um, You're doing I your job. don't know what happens. Yeah, I'm just a professional doing my job. To ick, I can't watch this anymore. I think the, I think the turning point for me might have been watching Love and Death again. Mm-hmm. Watching Love and Death again. There's a point where there's this village wise man character who's asked, "What is the meaning of life?" And he says, "The mean, or what's the most important thing in life?" And he says, the most important thing in life is blonde 12-year-old girls. Mm. Two of them at the same time, if possible. That's a joke in this oh, movie. Yeah. 
It's and 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 in the movie, like the movie, if you don't know anything about the allegations of Woods Way Allen, it is kind of a horribly funny line because like the the scene is not about a child molester. The scene is about somebody asking a supposedly wise person what is the secret of life and getting a completely horrifying, disgusting answer. Right. Like the movie doesn't approve of this guy, and yet you can't hear that line without thinking about the allegations that Woody Allen molested uh, his uh, girlfriend's daughter and, mm. and uh, his daughter, you know? Um, and uh, so I, I just, I can't pretend. I was like, I can't pretend anymore. I can't pretend. And, but I also think that it's a mistake to say Woody Allen's films have been ruined for me now mm-hmm. by something like this. Woody Allen's films. I hear that a lot. Woody Allen's films have been ruined for me. So they have, I don't know if I'd say they, I don't say if they've been ruined. I would say they have been contaminated, mm-hmm. not not entirely contaminated, but they've been made more complex. They've been made more troublesome. Right. So whereas before I could look at uh, some of his best films and say, what funny, beautiful movies. And now I look at them and I say the same thing, but I also say, I add the phrase, for an accused child molester. Um, I hope it's not a strange thing at the end, but but maybe, maybe, maybe there's a small silver lining, just thinking in the horrible case of, of Bill Cosby with victims sort of coming forward, that it may shed some light and help some other victims who are fearing to come out when something like this has happened. Maybe there's something to these things that are happening. Well, that's, that, that's the main reason why I, I say I believe Dylan. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, that's why I say I believe Dylan. I, I, I'm not saying I have some proof that Woody Allen did it. I'm saying when somebody comes to you and says, I was molested as a child, you, you should give them the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, my God, that's horrible. Tell me, tell me what happened. Is there anything I can do? That's what you're supposed to say. You're not supposed to say, are you sure it was molestation? Right. Are you sure you're, you're, you don't have memories implanted by your mother who hated your father? You know, right. like that's not, that's not a, an appropriate thing to say to a human being. So that's why, that's why I say it. And, and Woody Allen may be, uh, you know, a case of, uh, a great artist who is a, a sick man and boy, he wouldn't be the first one. Well, on that note, thank you so much for talking to me about this very difficult question for both fans and people of like us writing about it. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much to Matt Zoller Seitz. You can read his work at New York Magazine at RogerEbert.com, as well as listen to the great Vulture TV podcast. And thank you, Melissa Silverstein, who you can follow on Women and Hollywood at Medium. Follow us, Pop Culture Confidential, on Twitter at PodPopCulture, or go visit the website, PopCultureConfidential.com. Thank you so much for joining us. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, music by Carl Borg, and produced by René Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. 
As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.